Thank you to Contentful for supporting our podcast. I'm Marcelo Lewin, and this is the Contentful Creators Podcast, Season 1, Episode 12. So let's get to it. Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 12 of the Contentful Creators Podcast, where I have conversations with content architects, designers, developers, and other creators who use the Contentful content platform and related technologies to create web experiences. I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin, a content solutions architect and a certified Contentful professional. Today, I'll be chatting all about design systems with my guest, Matt Felton, who is a design technologist currently working at the intersection of design and code tools for Service Titan. But before we get started, if you want more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, and blog articles, all focused on creating web experiences using Contentful and related technologies, please visit www.contentfulcreators.com. All right, Matt, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. Today, we're going to be chatting all about design systems, which I have to say, prior to checking out the Service Titans design system, which we will be talking about, I had no clue really what design systems were. And you gave me a a wonderful overview of what it was and how we're using it. And I thought, you know what? I'm sure there's a lot more people like me that really need to know this. So thanks for doing this. Yeah, of course. Design systems are something that are in the grand scheme of things, a little new to the internet. So it's slowly gaining traction and people are starting to understand and see the value of them. So really excited to talk about it. Yeah. And Contentful has their own, which we're going to get into that as well. But before we jump in, give us a background about yourself. Yeah, sure. So I've been a designer for 12 years now. I got into design because as a kid, I was really excited about websites. I, For whatever reason, I really enjoyed the idea of building something that everyone around the world can see. So I was building little websites in high, junior high and high school for whatever reason, making stuff for bands and all that stuff you do when you, you have a ton of free time. I went to school for design because I realized everything I was making, it worked, but it never really looked good. So decided to go to school for design, went into graphic design, did worked at some agencies for a while, and eventually sort of drifted right back into web design, specifically UI design. And then when sort of design systems and that sort of like front end coding plus design aspect started showing up, it kind of tied both my skill sets together. So I've been working in sort of the design system space for five to six years now. And it kind of, like I mentioned, it kind of is a perfect space for someone like myself who I really love designing, but I also really love code at the same time. So have you done coding specifically just focus on that before or has it always been that intersection of code and design for you? Yeah, I've always been a designer professionally. I really enjoy being able to problem solve and figure out what a user is going to enjoy using, but I do like being able to create the thing I've designed as well. So opening up Photoshop or Sketch or Figma, whatever design tool you have, like that's fun. But what really gets me excited is seeing it working in a browser with real code. So I really enjoy doing both sides of that. And that's awesome because that's a perfect combination. Not many of us have the ability to do both design and coding and you having both of those talents. That's fantastic. Thank you. Okay, so let's get into what design systems are. Why don't we start by just defining it? Cool. So yeah, there's a lot of different 
definitions for design systems out on the internet. And the one I'm kind of gravitating towards right now is a design system is guidelines for creating consistently branded software experiences. So anything that's kind of a user's interacting with through some sort of user interface, a design system is there to help make those experiences consistent across the entire product. So it's a little different between grabbing something like an off-the-shelf framework or downloading a UI kit and bringing it into Sketch and working on something. This is something specific to product you're working on, but also a way of making it really consistent across the entire experience. So then help me understand, how is that different than from a style guide? Because it kind of sounds like a style guide almost. Yeah. So, I mean, the design systems aren't anything drastically new. It's things that have already been around for a long time, like style guides. Every engineering team I've ever worked with has had some sort of style guide for the UI. If you work with an agency to rebrand your company, they're going to give you a brand guide that has your logo and a bunch of treatments and what type you should be using and stuff. What a design system is, is sort of tying all those little pieces together into one project. So it is both code tools. So we build out some sort of framework in code so that the engineering team can use the system. We build out design assets. So whatever tools the designers on your team are using, they have the same pieces ready to use in their their tools. You know, we have logos and Some design systems get into like content writing, so explaining how content should be written, who the voice is of the person talking to the user. It's just a way of of tying all those things together into sort of a living system that grows with the company. So does that mean that a design system will dictate the tools that designers and coders use, or does design systems support all the tools that coders and designers use? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think... In my perspective, a design system should be supporting the rest of the team that is using the system. So whatever tools the design team and the engineering teams, whatever tools they're using, the design system should be there to support them. So as an example, earlier this year, the design team at Service Titan went through a big change, switching from a design tool called Sketch to another one called Figma. And... Through the course of that, we had to throw away probably 60, 70 hours worth of work that we've been doing for the past couple of years and starting from pretty much from scratch with this other tool. And we decided that that was the best interest for the rest of the team. They had a lot of really strong reasons to switch to Figma and we supported them in what they needed. So if the engineering team ends up moving to a totally different coding language we're going to need to support them and rebuild what we have in our design system in whatever language this is. So let's break the design system apart for a minute because it's divided into certain sections. You have components. These are could be coding components, but then you have components for the designers. You have what you call at service time patterns. Other people call them experiences. Can you go through each of those and just give a high level of what does all that mean? Yeah, sure. So components are what we call any sort of like atomic level item within the design system. So a component could be a tooltip or a component could be an input field or some sort of drop down, maybe a table. That's kind of a complex one, but we still think of that as a component. You then, if you're thinking of it in that level, a page is a combination of a lot of these smaller components to make some sort of experience or what we're calling a pattern. 
we're starting to document what different page layouts can be. And in a really large application, there could be hundreds of different page layouts. So it's really hard to say that there's only one page layout possible. There's many, so that becomes a pattern. But the pattern is using up all of those smaller atomic components that we have. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And those components are, in our case, for Service Titan, they're React components for the code side. But then you said we're using Figma for the designer. So you're actually duplicating the React component as a Figma component. So when the designers design it, the coders can know exactly what to use in the code. Is that correct? Exactly. So we actually had a pretty interesting process when we were still using Sketch, where we developed a tool that turned sort of those React components into, Sketch calls them symbols, but turns them into a library of sort of those visual assets that the entire team could use. So we didn't actually have to recreate them for each individual component. That was super cool because it saved us a lot of time. We haven't necessarily found the same sort of tool for Figma. So yes, we are sort of manually going in and making new, Figma calls them components as well. So we're making new Figma components that match our React components so that no matter who's using it, it always looks the same. And we keep both of the design tools and the code tools in sort of in parity because we want there to be consistency across all the tools any of our coworkers are using. And so when a change gets made to a Figma component, let's say, we keep track of that and then also need to make that same code change to make sure they don't get out of sync. And the same thing vice versa. So if we fix a bug in our code that ends up changing the visuals slightly, we have to keep track of that in the Figma components as well. Yeah, that so makes sense. We're trying to just keep everything sort of working together and making sure nothing gets out of date. So that goes back to what I mentioned about it being a sort of a living design system is that it's always changing and growing. We're not letting it go stale. Yeah, that makes total sense. Now, first of all, I'm already tired because that sounds like it's a lot of work. Just listening to all that stuff you have to keep in sync, that's going to be a lot of work, right? Especially as your components grow and as you have new, not just new components, but updates to current components. How do you maintain all of that? Through a lot of very detailed work. <laughs> and coffee? Yeah, a lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do our best. You know, there's... a uh, large, at least at Service Titan, there's a pretty large design team, the biggest design team I've ever been on. We're over 20 designers now. And then our engineering team is, I think, over 200 now. So there's a lot of people using the tools that me and my team are working on. So we get a lot of feature requests. We get a lot of bug reports. We do a lot of debugging and triaging and all that stuff. But it all comes down to priorities, right? Which is the most priority, highest priority for right now? Is it a bug fix or is it building a new component that people are really needing? So Right. So that kind of introduces a, I wouldn't call it a problem, but a challenge, right? Where standards are fantastic. You want to have standards because you want your app to have the same look and feel, regardless of which team in your organization is working on which module, right? Because that's one of the big reasons for having a design system. So that way your app feels the same regardless. You don't want to switch to module A, let's say the accounting module, and it looks completely different than your accounts payable module or whatever. That's that. But the challenge that I see, just based on what you've just described, is that updates to the design system, which then propagate to the actual app, 
may take a bit longer than if you didn't have a standard, right? So how do you balance that? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think in the traditional product development process, changes really are quite, they can be quite quick. The designer might work on something, it gets handed off to an engineer, they build it, and then it gets released. That's a simplified version, but that's really fast. In our world, we're kind of looking at what the system is as a whole. And so there is an evaluation period of, is this new feature, are there parts of it that can be reused across other modules or other portions of the app? And if so, those need to be converted into design system components. And then we also need to document them. We need to make design assets for the design tools. We need to see how this adapts to the rest of the system. Does other parts of the system need to change because this new component came in? So there is sort of that time, a little bit of an add to the time, but we're trying to make sure that it's not blocking anything. So if a team is under a tight deadline and they're working on a feature that has some design components that need to be created, they can go ahead and build those and they can contribute it back to the design system or we can take it later and try and bring it back into the design system ourselves. So it is definitely like a two-way street. We work with all of our designers and engineers, get a lot of contributions from them. So it's definitely not a, our team is the only one that can touch this project. This project is for the rest of the company. And if everyone would like to contribute to it, we're there helping them along the way. So that makes a lot of sense. We're kind of going through that in the content side and we're rebuilding all of our content into more structured content. And you and I spoke about this already, but we need a design system for content as well, because again, people will come and go, look, we want to add this content. Well, does this content model exist somewhere else? Well, let's put it into that so that we we have single source of truth. So it's kind of similar to you where you don't want to have three different types of tooltips. You want to have one that everybody uses so it's standardized. So that makes total sense. We've been talking about Service Titan, which is a pretty big company, right? And big companies usually will have some sort of design systems or that is the trend now for big companies to have. But what about if you're a small company? When is the right time for a company to say, you know what, we're at a point where we need a design system? Or does the, the size of the company matter? or Is it the size of the app? What is the criteria? I've worked on design systems for 20 person large companies and I've worked here where it's hundreds. I wouldn't say there's necessarily a size where a design system comes into, becomes more important. I think once a design team gets above, I want to say like six people, it gets a little tough getting everyone in sync about sort of aesthetic things and the patterns everyone is designing for. So I would say around there for designers, but really as on a company level, I kind of think of it as if the company you're working for is getting into a place where they're looking for stability, that's where a design system comes into play. I think if a company is in a very fast paced startup mode, they're still trying to find products, market fit, things like that, where moving faster is more important than being consistent. Having a design system might actually get in the way of your business goal. But once you get to the stage where you do have some of those things and you're looking to optimize the sort of idea to launch velocity, adding a little bit of time for design system things, design systems are leveraged work. So if we put in one hour, we're saving exponential hours from everyone else who would be doing this individually, rebuilding the same tooltip over and over and over again. 
that's really where you're going to see a lot of the benefits. Yeah. And I would argue that even if you're just starting out and you want to be fast to market, like you said, it's leverage work. If you put in that one hour now, even at the beginning, you're going to save tons of hours later and you still get to that market level. And the best part is you're not going to have to redesign or rebuild your entire app later when you decide to standardize, right? Yeah, absolutely. What are some popular design systems that we should be aware of to learn more about design systems and to see what's good out there? Yeah. So the most popular design systems, the one that probably everyone has heard about is material design. So used in a lot of Android devices and all the Google apps. That one is you can pull it down, you can customize it, you can use that to kick off your own sort of design system if you would like. Another big one is Salesforce's lightning design system. That's probably the, from what I know, the oldest one. It's been around for a really long time. And then one of my favorites right now is Shopify has a design system called Polaris that is online and open source. You can see all the patterns and components they have. And I love Polaris. What is it that you love about it? What makes it your favorite? Yeah, so I I think they have a way of making their components very simple to understand. Their documentation is written quite well, and it's very simple to read through. And for everyone who is trying to understand these components to really get at the core of what a dropdown should be used for. They show examples of those things. They show the code that takes the power. They show all the options and variations that they have. So yeah, I think Polaris is doing a like wonderful job with their design system. So does a design system take into account the delivery channel? In other words, you know, we've been talking about web, right? Web apps. But what about other delivery channels like mobile apps? Or we can talk about Internet of Things like Alexa, those kinds of things. What about those? Yeah, sure. So I think most design systems that I've run across have always sort of started from a web perspective. I think because a lot of frameworks and style guides originally were CSS libraries and stuff like that. So web is is really big, but there's definitely design systems like material design is a good example where they have different code bases for whichever platform you're trying to use. So if you're trying to build a mobile application, they have a mobile version of material design that sort of has the same look and feel, but they might have different components because patterns on a mobile device are a little different. You might have tabs down at the bottom, or you might have that like fab icon, which is like the circle down in the bottom right. That's something that maybe you don't need on the web because you're not going to be pushing your thumb up against the screen. So there's going to be different components depending on those platforms and different coding languages that require to implement them. But you can still have a design system that sort of spreads out to whichever platforms you need. Internet of Things is interesting because there tends to not be screens on them. Well, I mean, if you're talking about like voice activation stuff, there tends to not be screens. So what can you turn into a system from that? And I feel like it could be things like what commands are available, what commands that your app is going to respond to, how it responds, like the timing it has. Does it send out big paragraphs of text with explanation or is it like sentence by sentence? Right. When to use emphasis or whispering or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think in that case, it might be quite a different looking system, but it can still tie into the other platforms, the other delivery methods that your system might be used with. Yep. Definitely. 
So are there any open source systems that company can go and download and just build up on that? Is Materials one of them you mentioned? Yeah, so I think a lot of the ones that I mentioned, I think all of the uh, Polaris, Material Design, Lightning, all of those are open source. You can grab and, and download and play with and try and customize to your own needs. An important aspect of a design system is tying directly to your company's needs. So there's certain times where an open source design system might have more than what your company needs or might have less than what you need. So there is an aspect of customization that is kind of required. And I've found that when I start with something that another company or another team has started, I end up needing to expand beyond it or removing some things from it. So there's inherent challenges with pulling something sort of off the shelf and tweaking versus building something from the ground up. And you kind of have to play with that and figure out what the right level of customization and where to start is. It's I think every design system I've started, we've had to have that same conversation and it's come out different ways each time. So who are the stakeholders in a design system when you want to create one? Are we talking about designers and engineers mainly or are there other stakeholders involved? Yeah, so I think those are the main two. So in my experience, those are the the two sort of personas of our customers is designers are going to be using a design system every day. Engineers are going to be using it every day. We've also started doing a lot more user interviews. So like my team interviews the designers on our team and, and everything to understand how they're feeling. We've started expanding that to product managers as well, because product managers are kind of tying in a lot of the information that designers are giving them and engineers are giving them. And they're making some big like product decisions. And we're trying to make sure that they're understanding the design system as well. So we've added them to our list of stakeholders as well. And we're getting a lot of really good feedback from them about wanting to be involved more and having thoughts about how components should work. And so the more people we include, the better our design system gets. We're having to simplify our documentation for some components because the people we're writing it for have changed a little bit and that's turning into a better system. What are some tools that you will use to create design systems? Because when you look at all these, they're websites basically, right? They're websites describing certain things, but then there's components inside that people will use as libraries in their apps. So what are all the tools that you need to create a good design system? Sure. So there's kind of the big three parts of the design system where I'm seeing One is code, figuring out what language you need to write this in, how the components should be handled. Is it just CSS? Is it React? Is it Vue? There's a bunch of different ways of doing that. And then you need to figure out what design tool the people using it are going to be using. Is it going to be Sketch? Is it going to be Figma? Is it going to be some like whiteboarding tool like Miro or something and and just have a bunch of little simple components that someone can use? And then tying all that stuff together is some sort of documentation. I've seen design systems written in Confluence. I've seen Google Doc design systems. What we're using here is a Gatsby static site. We've sort of made ourselves with the components from our design system. We're sort of dogfooding our documentation website with our components and fixing bugs before they get into the application and all that stuff. But we do that so that we can see a live version of those components while we're explaining them, we can send out the links to people. They can see how things respond in their browser. So yeah, we have a Gatsby 
documentation site. We also do some fun stuff with a tool called Storybook. It's kind of a development environment, which we build all of our components in there. We show off a bunch of variations and then we have a visual regression testing tool hooked in. So every component that we have in there basically gets screenshotted before and after we make a change and we can like visually see how our system is adapting every time we make a change to it. And speaking of changes, how do you incorporate changes into components? Because when you're first starting out, you know, people will start using your components, but once the components are being used in the app, now you have to make changes to them. How do you decide those changes and how do you incorporate them so that the app automatically gets the latest version of the tooltip or the select? Yeah, up until a couple years ago, when I started learning React, that was a really tough question to answer. When the first design system I worked on was just HTML and CSS, every time we made a change and we changed the CSS class names, we changed the HTML structure, we basically had to copy and paste those changes into every single button we had in the entire website, which was a couple days process. And so those changes were very tedious with sort of the front end frameworks that have come out like React and Vue.js and others. Those tools sort of help us bundle together the HTML and the CSS and some interactivity through JavaScript. So when a consumer of the design system, when an engineer goes to implement this, all they say is, I want a tooltip. And then here's the text I want inside the tooltip. Everything else is handled internally to that code. And so we're able to just make changes under the hood and every version of a tooltip out in the app just sort of gets those changes and no one really has to go through an update. When we do releases, we release new changes every couple of weeks. And we have a whole versioning process just like any other NPM module or something. So there's a version one, a version two, and we do bug fixes through there and everything. So we release new versions and make sure that when we make a breaking change that it's communicated very well, we bump the version correctly. And so everyone knows when we go up from version two to version three, there's going to be some changes that need to be made. Maybe we removed a component and we're suggesting to use another one or something like that. We don't do that very often for obvious reasons. It's very time consuming, but we do version everything. So if someone needs to go back to version two for whatever reason, they can. That makes sense. And speaking of removing components, do you actually remove components when you've done that in the past or do you deprecate them and then suggest that, hey, these will be going out in three versions from now? Yeah, it's a big process. Right. Because you can break an app. Yeah, exactly. There's horror stories on the internet of people doing that. So we're very careful about removing things. We have a handful of deprecated components right now that we've not removed. And we're sort of waiting till we get to no one's using them anymore to finally actually pull the trigger on removing them. But our biggest concern is making sure that we're not breaking any applications that are using our design system. Most design systems talk about the look and feel, they talk about the components, but they really don't talk about content. And I don't mean content in the sense of style, you know, what's the tone and the voice that's different. I'm talking about how to deliver content from a sort of CMS and obviously Contentful or any other CMS, but in in our case, since this is a Contentful podcast, deliver 
delivering it from a CMS like Contentful into the component, for example, a tooltip. Have you considered that? And what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think something that Contentful helps us do really well is, is sort of decoupling content from the sort of like presentation layer of that content. And so the design system sort of helps with that presentation layer. But because it's a system and we're providing guidelines, I think there can definitely be some guidelines for how to maybe integrate with Contentful and how to make sure that the right content is going to the right components when you need them. So if you have a content type for different tooltips, that we have some way of linking that to a tooltip component. And I think there's help too on the engineering team, because I know you need to do like API calls to get that data. There could be ways of making a component in the design system that just grabs that data for the engineer. So as long as you include this component, the right content already is accessible, and then they can just pop that into the correct component that they need. Right, exactly. Do you feel that design systems in the future will start addressing some of this kind of content? Because I know some design systems today will address content, but from the style perspective, the tone and voice. But do you feel that design systems will start addressing that? Or actually, a better question is, do you feel they should? Or do you feel that, yeah, we could explain it in the design system, but maybe it really doesn't belong there? I definitely think it's important to at least show how content and the design system tie together. I think there's things too that design systems can help with things like loading state, loading data takes time. What can the design system do to show that content is being loaded? What happens if there's an error state loading that content? So I think there's a lot of sort of design treatments that do need to be standardized in order to bring content in. To me, it makes it sound like you really do believe that it does belong in the design system, but we're so early in this stage right now that we have to figure out how to incorporate it there, right? To make it a standard. Yeah, I don't think I've seen many other design systems actually do any sort of content delivery through design system components. So I think that's something that we'll need to feel out over time as sort of our understanding of what is possible with design systems right. evolves, right? Yeah, and maybe because I'm a content guy, but to me it feels so natural because you're delivering component that will display some sort of content and some content will come from a database, but there's some helper content or knowledge-based content that you also want to display there. It just seems like a natural place for the hook to be there. But like right. you said, we have to see how that evolves. Yeah, you're, you're right. Content can come from any place. And I think from the design system perspective, we want that content to come from whichever place you would like. And so sometimes that might be out of our hands and up to the engineer implementing it to decide where that content is coming from and how it gets put into the correct components. But I think... What I've noticed is the more examples we're able to put into our design system documentation, the more people use those examples as the correct way of doing it. That's something that like, as we start figuring out how to do this, providing more and more examples of pulling that content in, people are just going to more or less copy and paste those into the application as 
this is the gold standard for how to implement that, even if there's other ways of doing it too. That's something that we have to be conscious of. Yeah, definitely. And it's important, I want to clarify, when I say content, there's two types of content for a component. There is the content that is part of the app that if you have a field that shows your username, it's going to display the username. I'm not talking about that content. The content I'm talking about is the content that is the helper content that has a little eye. And when you put your mouse over, it says this username will be used to populate your credit card billing information. I don't know, whatever, something like that. So it's more of a content that helps the user along in the usage of the app, not the content that populates the app. So that's how I differentiate it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So we're getting pretty close to the end here, but I do want to cover a couple more things. One of them is Anvil, which is the design system that we use at Service Titan, which you and your team created. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So we are in its third year now. That's crazy. I haven't thought about that. Yeah. So it's been around for about three years now. It was a project that our engineering team and design team sort of collaboratively decided we needed to have. We got buy-in to say, yes, someone should full-time work on this project. And it started from a very small design system that was really only colors and typography, like what font and what sizes we support. We had some spacing rules, so you can only space things 8 pixels or 16 pixels or whatever, some sort of scale. We're now at, I think, like over 80 different components. We're adding new page layouts. We're working on changing up like sort of the application wrapper. So like navigation and and things like that, that are sort of like really big overarching projects that the design systems can help with. So it's definitely been a really cool project to work on. You mentioned open source before. It's unfortunately not open source at the moment. That's something we've been discussing, but it is publicly visible. So our documentation is available and you can see it at anvil.servicetitan.com and see all the components and how we're sort of talking about them and everything. And we'll add that to the show notes as well. Now, Contentful also offers their own design system, and this is a design system used to extend the functionality of the web app, the web admin app, right? It's called uh, Forma 36. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So we have this on our list of design systems that we look at when we're looking at new components and everything. So they're doing a really cool job what they're adding to their design system. And you can see they have foundations. So those are some of the things that you tend to want to start with colors, typography, spacing, shadow rules, things like that transitions. So how long transitions are supposed to take fast and slow. And you just kind of make those, turn those into a system. They have some guidelines, so copy rules and accessibility guidelines and how to use keyboard shortcuts in the app. And then they have a big list of components, too, that help them build out the interface to make Contentful, the web app portion. They have links on there, so you can download their sketch kits. And they're using Storybook, too. I mentioned that earlier. So you can see how Storybook works and see all their components with like live code and information on how to start using the system. So that's kind of what design systems are about, is a landing page, more or less, for anyone who's interested in using this to like learn more, start getting at the tools that they need, and start building things. I also saw that if you go to their blog on their design system, there's a few of the designers at Contentful that have been talking about how their design system was formed. And those are really interesting to read too. 
everyone has really interesting stories about how theirs have evolved and who's been supporting it, what it took to get off the ground and everything. So definitely worth taking a look there. What about localization, not for Forma 36, but in general for design systems? Should a design system address, number one, localization? And I'm talking about like different cultures, different languages, but I'm also talking about different personas, right? For example, for us, we have like technicians and we have business owners and we have dispatchers. Should any of that be addressed in a design system or is that more of a style guide or is that something else? Yeah, so that's a good question. I think with, let's start with sort of internationalization. That's something that we've been thinking about a lot and talking about I think the biggest thing we're looking at currently is supporting sort of right to left languages and how does our app, how do our components support that when the language sort of needs to be the other way around or a different orientation altogether? What can we do to support those type of things? There's things we've been thinking about where like we have slightly different themes for our design system, depending on regions or depending on personas, depending on how they want to read the page. Maybe there's slightly different navigation structures that support that. So there's definitely things that you can do within design systems to help support those big initiatives that you might have. Is this mostly documented? Like if you have personas, right, specific personas, do you feel that components may change on a persona basis or do you feel that really doesn't happen in general? From a user perspective, I think there are some components that can change depending on the persona. It really depends on what the team is looking for. I think a great example that's sort of popping up everywhere is dark mode. That's where a design system can completely change the theme, what it looks like, depending on the user's preference or what their system is set to or whatever. Maybe it's time of day, the design system changes to darker, whatever way you want to do it. And I think that idea of having different themes, you could take that idea pretty far if you needed to. I think for service site in itself, we haven't had the need necessarily to have different look and feel for our components based on personas, but we are designing our platform slightly differently depending on who's using it. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, Matt, we're pretty much at the end. So in your opinion, what's the future hold for design systems? Or if you actually know the future, that's okay too. <laughs> sure. So what is the future? I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed and started to watch is design tools working with code a lot closer. There's been some tools that have come out recently that are really pushing that idea. There's one called Framer that actually is code under the hood. Every time you make a change, it's there's actual JavaScript code that you can download that every change is just code, which is super cool. There's another project called Modules with a Z, and they're making a all-code design tool as well. So everything you do has some sort of level of code to it. So I think for me, closer meshing of design tools with code tools, I think that's one of the futures that we're going to start seeing a lot more about in the next couple of years. But I also think there's sort of expanding the boundary of what design systems can be. You know, I think there's the code and design part is sort of a given for most design systems, but there's a handful of them that are starting to get into content. What we talked about earlier with IoT things, I don't think I've seen one yet that's really sort of grabbed onto that idea. So seeing how far we can start pushing what 
belongs inside the design system. I think there's a lot of potential there that we're just starting to scratch at the surface of. That sounds like a really neat future, actually the intersection or the combination of these tools, right? Where you're able to design and create the code all together seems like the way to go in the future. And we'll see how IoT gets addressed as well. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. All right, Matt. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. If people want to get a hold of you, do you want to give them a email, URL, whatever you like? Yeah, sure. I'm on Twitter. At, it's just at Matt Felton. So feel free to tweet at me if you have any questions. Sounds good. We'll go ahead and put that on the show notes. So thanks again, Matt. And to the rest of you, I'm glad you were here with us. Just a quick reminder to visit www.contentfulcreators.com for more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, and blog articles. So until the next episode, I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin. Cheers, everyone. Cheers, everyone.